listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. Good evening, Raleigh, and welcome to this week's Eye on the Triangle. It's Tuesday, January 14th, and we thank you for tuning in. I'm Nick Savage. And I'm Andrew Eikens. Tonight we bring you an interview with a local author, as well as coverage of Triangle Restaurant Week. In addition, we bring you Poets Corner, which includes another special submission. But first, here's Andrew with national news headlines. A retired police officer shot and killed a man in a theater in Florida for texting during the movie. Curtis Reeves, 71, has been charged with second-degree murder and was denied bail. He claimed to have been in fear of being attacked by the victim, Chad Olson, who said he was texting his three-year-old daughter when told to put away his phone during the previews. A Tampa police spokesman said Reeves was captain when when he retired in 1993. Two children were injured after a gunman opened fire in Berendo Middle School in Roswell, New Mexico. The 14-year-old boy was flown to the hospital in critical condition, while the 13-year-old girl was in serious condition. Roswell police have not released any details about the gunman, but hospital officials say the boy appeared to be the intended target. And a federal judge ruled today that Oklahoma law limiting marriage to one man and one woman violates the Constitution. U.S. District Judge Terrence Kern said the ruling would not immediately be enforced pending appeals. Kern's decision specifically dealt with part of a... Oklahoma constitutional amendment that says, quote, marriage in this state shall consist of the union of only one man and one woman. Kern called that an arbitrary, irrational exclusion of just one class of Oklahoma citizens from the government benefit. And that's the national news. All right. And here's for international news. In attempts to unseat the Thai Prime Minister Yingluck Shinawat, opposition protesters have upped their rallies by gathering thousands in several major cities to shut down Bangkok. The protest leader, Sutep Tayak Suban, refuses to compromise or negotiate, but promised to call off the protests if civil war seemed imminent. Protesters call for the end of corruption in the, gov- in the Thai government and has vowed to prevent officials from going to work, going as far as cutting off power to key state offices, which authorities warn could lead to bloodshed. This past Saturday, January 11th, tens of thousands of protesters ga- gathered to object to the imprisonment of members of the Basque separatist group ETA in Spain's Basque Square and the northern city of Bilbao. Spanish and French leaders refused to negotiate with ETA as it's branded a terrorist organization by both the European Union and the U.S. and is blamed for 829 killings in its four-decade campaign for an independent Basque homeland in northern Spain and in southwestern France. On Monday, January 10th, Ayatza Hazan died preventing a suicide bomber targeting his school in Pakistan. Hazan was late for school that day, which is why he was standing outside when the bomber tried to approach the school. And a teacher reported that he saw Hazan chasing the attacker when the assailant detonated the bomb, killing himself as well as Hazan. As Hazan's family both mourns him and celebrates his life, his father stated, My son made his mother cry, but saved hundreds of thousands of mothers for crying for their children. Sources say that Hazan was around 15 years old. On Friday, January 10th, after growing pressure from being unable to subdue religious violence in his country, the president of the Central African Republic, Michel Jodoja, resigned less than a year after he came to power. Reports also announced that the country's prime minister, Nicola Changai, is also planning to step down. As the rebel leader of an alliance of militias called Salika, 
Jodojo was installed as president after his mostly Muslim fighters overtook the capital in March and toppled the then Christian-led government. Since then, hostilities have broken out between Christian and Muslim communities, launching the country into chaos. Despite aid from both French and African troops, the violence has continued. As the world's largest market for ivory, China unexpectedly destroyed approximately six tons of illegal ivory on Monday, January 6th, to show concern about the growing black market trade. Anti-ivory groups have continued to pressure countries over the years to destroy their ivory stocks and have successfully encouraged other countries to destroy their stocks as well. Gabon destroyed five tons in 2012 and America destroyed six tons this past November. Unrest erupted in South Sudan starting December 15, 2013, when fighting amongst presidential guards spread across the country. The aggression caused by a mounting coup attempted, attempt led by the former vice president has thus far resulted in a rebellion led by renegade officers, over a thousand civilian deaths and the displacement of, displacement of over 400,000 people. The origins of their unrest are believed to lie with the ethnic rivalry between the current president of South Sudan, Salva Kiir of the majority Dinka tribe, and the ousted vice president, Riek Mashar, of the minority Nuer ethnic group. An effort between Sudan and South Sudan is being made to protect the oil fields from the fighting in the south due to concerns over both countries' already struggling economies suffering further and the failure thus far of peace talks since discussions of possible negotiations in neighboring Ethiopia on Tuesday, January 7th, between rebels and the government of South Sudan proved unsuccessful. Since then, more battles have erupted Tuesday, January 14th, especially in the oil-producing city of Malakal. All right, back to you, Andrew. Thanks, Sydney. Meteorologist Katie Costa couldn't join us tonight for our live broadcast, but she sent her sent us her most current forecast. Here's Nick. Well, today we had an overall, what tended up to be an overall pleasant day with highs in the mid-50s and mostly cloudy skies. Overnight tonight, we will experience dense areas of fogs, which will lower the visibility on the roads, so be careful if you're planning on driving out there this evening. Areas of fog will continue into the early morning hours tomorrow, so for all you commuters out there, be sure to use caution while driving on your way to work. Thankfully, these patches of fog fog will clear out by 8 a.m. with mostly sunny skies dominating over the region for the remainder of the day tomorrow. Highs will be in the upper 50s, so it will be slightly warmer than we were today. As for tomorrow night, things will be changing quickly with temperatures dropping to well below freezing, along with a chance of a rain or snow mix. Precipitation will most likely start as rain and then switch completely over to snow. However, little to no snow accumulation is expected at this time. Thursday morning looks like our greatest chance for snow this week, but it will taper off before you head out the door to start your day. Then the sun will be warming us up to a high of 45 degrees and mostly sunny skies, so the snow shouldn't impact your Thursday schedule at this point in the forecast. Thursday evening will be a brisk one with 29 degrees for the low and partly cloudy conditions. Friday looks like an overall pleasant day ahead with partly sunny skies and highs in the low 50s. Now, the weather will take a turn again on Friday evening with another chance of some rain mixed with snow with temperatures getting down to a chilly 27 degrees. So if you're planning on heading out this Friday evening, remember to break out your winter gear because it will definitely be brisk out there. Now, we have a beautiful winter weekend ahead of us with clear blue skies and plenty of sunshine in the forecast, so try to get outside and enjoy a nature walk or walk around downtown Raleigh with your favorite cup of joe if you can. It will feel pretty cold out there with highs in the low to mid-40s and lows in the upper 20s, but overall pretty average for this time of year. Thanks for tuning in to your local weather report here on Eye on the Triangle. Thanks, Nick. Now here's Ben with From the Sidelines. From the Sidelines on Eye on the Triangle. Your weekly update on athletic events. The men's basketball team was in action twice this week, getting a hard-fought win against Notre Dame on the road and then losing at home to Virginia. 
TJ Warren and Cat Barber led the offensive attack in their 77-70 win against Notre Dame with 17 and 16 points, respectively. State struggled against Virginia's stingy defense, and a hot shooting night from the Cavaliers led to a 76-45 loss for the Wolfpack. They now sit at 11-5 on the year and will next be in action this Wednesday at in-state rival Wake Forest. The women's basketball team played two games this week, with both being against other North Carolina teams. The Wolfpack lost a close game to arch-rival UNC by a score of 79-70. State had four players with double-digit scoring efforts against the Tar Heels, but could not quite pull out the win. However, a few days later, the Lady Wolfpack bounced back to beat Wake Forest 62-54. They were led by game-high 19 points from senior Cody Burke and a double-double from Markeisha Gatling. The women's basketball team is now 15-2 and ranked 20th in the country. Their next test will be at home this Thursday against 17th-ranked Florida State. FSU will be the third game against a ranked team in the last two weeks for the pack. The swimming and diving team had a successful meet this past Friday, taking down Villanova at home on both the men's and women's competitions. The men won by a score of 166-101 to 101 to improve to 4-3 and three on the season, and the women won 175-104 to 104 to improve to a 6-2 and two record on the year. The Wolfpack also had some international swimmers compete in December, the European SC Championships held in Herning, Denmark. They will next be in the water on the 24th at Minnesota. The wrestling team competed in a total of four matches this past weekend, coming out with a 3-1 and record. The Wolfpack soundly defeated Clarion, Eastern Michigan, and Seton Hall by a combined score of 98-26. to State's only loss on the weekend came against the 19th-ranked Pitt Panthers. They now have a 10-2 and record. The Pack will next hit the mat on the 19th against Kent State. The men's tennis team ended the Wolfpack invite this past Sunday with 10 wins and 10 singles matches against Elon. This completed a weekend of dominance for NC State over Elon, William & Mary, which they won almost every match they played in. The highlight of the weekend came on Sunday when 50th-ranked Austin Powell upset 25th-ranked Cameron Silverman of Elon in three sets. The men's tennis team is ranked 35th in the nation and will next be in action this weekend at the Sherwood Collegiate Cup in Thousand Oaks, California. The rifle team competed in two matches this past Saturday against Columbus State and Murray State. The Wolfpack beat Columbus State 4,612, 4,525, but lost to Murray State 4,632 to 4,612. They will be shooting again this weekend at West Virginia. As always, if you would like to have more in-depth sports analysis, please tune in tomorrow night right here on WKNC for Pulse of the Pack. Thanks, Ben. Authors today carry on a legacy that has been part of our society for thousands of years. Here in the Triangle, several authors are hard at work bringing the world news stories. In a new series, Michaela speaks to a local author about her recent and upcoming works. I'd like to welcome into the station today, Case Falls, who is an author of several book series that will be coming out very soon. You have two series of books, or like two sets of books. You have The Sirens of Rhine, and then Izzy and Bryn. Mm -hmm. All right, awesome. So with The Sirens of Rhine, I was curious, so what exactly compelled you to write about sirens? 
I've always, always loved Greek mythology. Um, and mermaids have always been a big thing of mine, so those are obviously very similar. But I really didn't want to jump on the vampire werewolf bandwagon that's been going on. So you know, Greek mythology is so ripe with all of these creatures that no one's really heard of or messed with. Mm-hmm. And sirens are a little bit more common, but... Um, there's something very compelling about them, just very interesting, and even even the creatures themselves in legend, you know, draw you in. And um, it really got inspired when we went to Germany when I was 17, and we visited the River Rhine. So, wow, okay, I didn't even know that was there. I don't know much about Germany. So. Oh yeah, okay. yeah, the River Rhine is the legend of the uh, siren Lorelei, and we were at the rocks where she supposedly would draw in ships, and that was just really inspiring for me. So, oh, okay. <laughs> Are you looking? T- I know you, you have another book coming out. Mm-hmm. In it's uh, upcoming it's coming. Yeah, it's due to the publishers in March. Um, so I'm really excited for that. But yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to the prequel a lot. It's it's been different from the first story. Oh, so or no, sorry, not the prequel, the sequel. Oh, I was about to say it's a prequel. Yeah. <laughs> so are you looking to make it like a trilogy or anything? Um, right now it is three books. Um, but it's not a set plan to make it a trilogy. I actually do have plans for a prequel. Um, to talk okay. about the story is as though Greek mythology like progressed and and is now like the dominant world that we live in. Um. Mm-hmm. So it is still set in modern times, but with Greek mythology as the, I guess the the overlaying tone, and um, I'd like to. There's this legend of this princess of Rhine, and uh, I think I'll probably do a prequel about her story and where she came from. So, <laughs> is there anything else special about this upcoming book that's like, wow, major awesomeness? Um, I mean, you know, you spend the first book waiting for these sirens to find each other, and they're obviously very powerful, and so now you get to see them. Uh, will they work together? Will they not? You know, what's that going to be like with, you know, all three powers all at once? Um, so I think people would be excited to see that. So do they each have, like, their own, like, specialty, each individual specialty? Mm-hmm. And then, have... like, when they come together, they're kind of, like, indestructible, I guess? Kind of, yeah, they all bring something to the table for sure. And, and it's a big debate of whether or not that's a good or a bad thing, you know? So, so also, what compelled you to write about slavery in this? When I originally wrote this story, there just, there wasn't high enough stakes essentially like i needed these people to be working towards something greater than themselves um and greek greek culture has always been a slave-based culture so i don't know I, when i was doing my research on you know ancient greece and all of that i decided to start looking into modern day slave trades and when i what i discovered really horrified me it really did um it, it, it's a, a lot more alive and well than people realize mm-hmm. and Honestly, I, if anything, to bring awareness or raise awareness, I, I really work with the campaign Not For Sale to try to help people understand that this, this happens in our own backyard. Like People right. don't realize that this is alive and thriving. And um, I really wanted to write about villains that you just hate. <laughs> you just want them to be. I had a, a reviewer say that uh, they were the bad guys you wanted to have strung up and beaten with their own limbs. And <laughs> okay. um, yeah, I, uh, I and I. I think every girl can relate to like the idea of, of having your power stripped away from you in some way or another. So I feel like that uh, speaks to people a lot. So no sympathy for the devil here. So, yeah. Um, okay. So next up you have Izzy and Bryn, mm-hmm. right? Okay. So why did you decide to write children's books? I've worked with kids since I was little. Um, you know, I started teaching Sunday school when I was uh, 15, and I just love kids. I have a huge imagination. Izzy and Bread was actually the first story I ever wrote. Um, I wrote that when I was 17, and uh, 
that when I sent it out for publication, it, it got some pr- surprising response. It's actually the reason I decided to become an author. So, um, yeah, that was just, it's just so much fun to be imaginative and really out there with the children's book stories. Are you looking to write a whole bunch more? Like, do you have just one book for Izzy and Brynn, or are you going to make, like, a big collection? Um, right now, Izzy and Brynn is signed for four stories. Um, it will, I have plans for six. Um, so it really depends on how much the illustrator is willing to do and how much the publishers are willing to do. But honestly, the sky's the limit when it comes to Izzy and Brynn. So. Okay. So I noticed that a lot of your characters are, or all of your characters, are female. So <laughs> why is that? Um, I actually hadn't really realized that until you asked me. Um, <laughs> I guess that's just, it's what I can relate to. Is uh, You know, there's so much, you know, I think writers try to put a lot of themselves into the story. Mm-hmm. And as a new writer, I think there's so many components that adding that layer of, am I getting the male perspective correct, would it would be a big risk for me at this point. Um, it would just be a whole other layer of perspective that I would be trying to get right on top of everything else, on top of being new. And, um, but I do have a lot of male side characters that are very important. So that um, I, I do still have quite a few in there. I tried to write Sirens, actually, so that should a boyfriend need to read it for a girl, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. My husband actually helped me with that, where he was like, let's try to make this appealing to men if they had to read it. So. <laughs> okay, okay. What compelled you to first start writing? I have been writing since I was young. Um, yeah, I had a friend die when I was very young, and uh, back when DeviantArt was very popular, I don't know if that website um, used to blog a lot and write, you know, and, and get things out there. And uh, I, I always had a pretty strong following, which was surprising because I was always told by teachers that I would never be a writer. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they used to be like because I was never all that good at like scholarly writing, um, which is something I got much much better at when I went to college, but. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) But yeah, um, really, it was, uh, you know, just personal experience that I was writing about. And the fact that I would, you know, had a lot of encouragement with it, with outside people reading my writing that that sounded terrible. (laughs) Yeah, Um, I'm trying to think of a better way to phrase that. (laughs) You still have time. Are you ever thinking of writing like a male based book, like male character based book, like have them as the main character? considered it um i have a lot of stories signed right now and actually the moment you asked me that i realized that all of the characters were female all of them um but uh i mean this is definitely i have nine stories signed at this particular moment um almost 10 i actually just confirmed another kid's book with an illustrator and um i got some character concepts for that again another female (laughs) um probably in the future when i get a little bit more secure in my writing and i feel like i can tackle the male perspective then yes why did you decide to call yourself a teller of tales versus just an author or a story writer? Oh, that was actually a quote from uh, a book that I had read. Um, it was uh, Eyes Like Stars, and she would she would tell her stories, and every time she did, she would say, I'm the teller of tales. And I thought that was um, just a clever little... That's why, you know, whenever I put it in something, it's always in quotations, because I'm not arrogant enough to say that I'm the only teller of tales in the world. But a friend and I actually started... Um, sort of a service to help uh, independent authors, and it's called Tellers of Tales. Actually, you can go to tellers-of-tales.com, and she's an independent editor, and I'm kind of a creative consultant for independent writers um, that would like these services but don't want to go to publishers because um, they're obviously really, you can most publishers are really expensive when it comes to those things. So you kind of help them out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what we're starting. So Our whole kind of motto is that everybody is a teller of tales. Everybody has their story that they should tell and right. that they're all beautiful. <laughs> is there anything else at all that you want to talk about? 
I mean, I have upcoming stories that's uh, really um, like I, they're not set to come out until about a year and a half from now. But I do have uh, outside of Sirens, I have two more adult series that have been signed Um more not series, but standalone stories. I have uh, a version of Cinderella, and then I have um, my own first completely original story, I think. Uh, Sirens is pretty original, but it's got some common themes. Um, I'm the Best Friend was really inspired by uh, side characters and stories that are always, they kind of get the sword into the stick. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that tend to sort of die off, and no one really remembers them Like in the right. next series. And uh, I wrote a story from one of their point of views. So, oh, wow. yeah, I'm excited for that one to come out. Um, it's completely standalone, um, and uh, it, it might have a continuation. I have I'm the Best Friend, and then possibly She Was My Friend, too. Um, and those would just be from, yeah. Uh, and actually, She Was My Friend, too, would be from a male point of view. And those would just be two side characters telling their story. Um, probably wouldn't even know the full actual base plot. They probably wouldn't. So those are still in the works. So. Oh, what about your Cinderella story? Can you, like... Expand on that without giving anything away. Um, I actually wrote a fan fiction um, about Cinderella, and uh, it was pretty well received. Actually, I had I've read versions of Cinderella where they didn't know each other before the ball, where they uh, one knew who the other person was, kind of like Ever After. She knew he was the prince. He did not know who she was, and other other versions like that. I've never read one where by the time the ball showed up, everything was on the table. Everybody knew everything, and you know, and in the end, it was just. When he tried to find her, it was a complete and total choice of, I know who this person is and I want to find them. Um, So that was something that I wanted to try out. So I wrote like a short little 10 chapter fan fiction and people really responded to it really positively. Um, So uh, that will probably, when I expand on it, have more themes of human trafficking because that is something I'm very passionate about. And, uh, you know, working with Not For Sale, I'd like to get the word out about that. That's a good opportunity, too, because she was you know, um, indentured servant. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I actually have a cover model lined up for that. So I'm very excited for that. <laughs> and, um, is, is not for sale like a local human trafficking awareness thing? Is it? Yeah, it's global. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a really big, um, yeah, there's always the not for sale gala every year and, uh, lots of celebrities and things like that are always there. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I just wasn't sure how, I feel like I'm I'm normally pretty aware of things and mm-hmm. with I was just when I actually did my research about human trafficking I was just so shocked at how prominent and big it was um and that people just seemingly don't realize so I was hoping if I could get something in there that spoke to a younger audience that maybe they would start to realize like oh maybe I should look at this or you know care <laughs> Is there anything you would want to start up in Wilmington? Because Wilmington is one of the largest human trafficking capitals that we have, actually, in the United States. So is there anything that you would want to, like, potentially start there, maybe? Should I uh, get to a point where I can? I mean, I would love to get to a point where I could really start campaigning. And, you know, I'd love to get to a point where I could, you know, donate a portion of every copy of Sirens or some Princess of Cinders that could go towards this. Like, I would really love to become just a very big advocate for this cause. Well, thanks for coming into the studio today. Good luck on your next book. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Michaela O'Connor. Thanks, Michaela. Next week is Triangle Restaurant Week, and it's definitely worth checking out. Here's Nick with more.
Triangle Restaurant Week is a week-long celebration of culinary excellence designed to incorporate the premier restaurants of the Triangle region. During the seven-day eating extravaganza, restaurant goers will have the opportunity to visit several new and existing eateries within the Triangle to take advantage of special menu offerings and pricing. This winter edition of the event takes place starting this coming Monday, January 20th through Sunday the 26th. Reduced price menus will be available at participating restaurants in Raleigh, Cary, Chapel Hill, Durham, and other nearby areas. The event includes several new restaurants in the area, bringing the number of participating venues to 75 and making the event available to 1.2 million people in the Triangle. Since its inception in 2008, the event has produced over $500,000 in extra revenue for the participating restaurants. Consumers seeking to expand their culinary experiences do not need any special coupons or tickets, and as always, reservations are encouraged but not required. Pricing will vary depending on the location, but all of the details can be found at trirestaurantweek.com. Updates on the event can be found on the Triangle Restaurant Week Facebook page and on Twitter at trirestweek. For Eye on the Triangle, this is Nick Savage. This new semester means we've got a new installment of Poets' Corner for you. Everyone has a story to tell, but how they tell it differs. Whether you're a poet, spoken word artist, singer, an actor, musician, everyone has that story to tell. And here is the place to tell it. Welcome to Selma's Poetry Corner. My name is Selma Abdulhai, and welcome again to Selma's Poetry Corner. Tonight, we have a previous guest on. His name is Tyree Day. He works with me at the Raleigh Review, um, and he is an MFA student. Is that, no, not yet. Oh, no, he's not graduate. Anyways, <laughs> um, I, I would like to start this off by doing a quick shout-out for myself because we have an open mic at the Raleigh Review this Saturday night at 7 p.m. 3039 Medlin Drive, Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, it's going to be awesome. We still got a couple of spots left over if anybody wants to perform. Otherwise, it's a $5 entry. Yes, only $5. And uh, it will be amazing. So come on out. And I shall move over to Tyree's poem. Tyree. Poem I'm going to be reading is called Praying. My mother washed our white clothes in Clorox, a white so bright it breathed, the bleach eating holes in our shirts, and you could see hunger underneath all alive and kicking. Most everybody I know stuck in a gin bottle, and God's too late to get them out. We saw you walk into a healthy pond once and laugh. Those would be tears now. They would sweep you down the street, and you would struggle in the current and forget you were a man and you would smile like children do in death, so close to the other side. Maybe one of our favorite aunts will make one of our favorite pies, and somebody would say, Amen, and we will all feel it. I try not to go this far on the loose-footing path, but it's dark, and I'm out of cigs. Right now, the late afternoon fades out in a loud cry that reminds me of Sal taking those belts to the stomach. Cardinals call out, over the low hum of the highway, 
cooling from a hell-going hot week that, west, that rested on brown backs and sorbing fields like newborns until the boss man tells the backs to straighten up and go home. Only a few lumbars pop into place, but all of them are thinking how they need to get back to something they truly remember and haven't blocked out or left outside to bark at distant lights. The bats dancing in midair, the world singing an old gospel hymn that starts and stops throughout the night. Thank you so much, Tyree. Um, Thank you. So, once again, we do have an open mic this Saturday night. If anybody would like to come out and perform, look us up on RaleighReview.org or uh, look us up on Facebook and follow us, and we've got those events coming up. And um, we also have our issue coming out in February. Do you publish local Raleigh writers in that issue, or yeah. just, just exclusively local? Uh, no, it's, it's national, but we do have many uh, local local Raleigh poets. Great. That's good to hear. Yep. So uh, you can also submit. We are taking in submissions eventually. <laughs> you want to throw out your email address just in case listeners want to email you? All right. My- yeah, uh, you can, you can uh, go to the website. It's www.raleighreview.org. And uh, all the information is up there as far as workshops, events, publications. Great. Thank you so much, guys, for listening in. And hopefully I'll tune in next week for the Poetry Corner. Before we end the Poetry oh. Corner, however, oh. I'd like to let you know that we got a special submission today again. Uh, I don't know if you remember we had a special submission a couple of weeks ago. Yes, sir. Um, this time it's a poem recorded and submitted by our own contributor here on the program, oh, um, wow. Dave Klemp. And uh, so he was in the studio earlier, and here is his, his poem. Ode to the Sweaty Man by Dave Klemp I am a sweaty man on a rainy day. There is no escaping it. Thanks go out to Raleigh with a cold enough winter that warrants pants and jacket and hat. Then comes a hill and a trek to class that sets forth all that my armpits have been working toward. It takes seven sweaty minutes to make it, which is good because I am fabulously late. Burned calories aside, I'm still fat enough that my heart rate still isn't nearly normalized by the time I stretch myself through the classroom door. Lecture is about half about listening and half about the drying out before this poor body at rest gets put in motion again. Oy vey, what a grimy, blooming day. Thanks, Dave. And now here are the campus happenings for the next week. Talk to me, so you can Here's what's going on at NC State. Tomorrow night is the Earth Month Student Interest Meeting. April is Earth Month, and students who want to be involved in the campus-wide celebration can join the planning committee to give back through service and promote sustainability-related causes. The meeting takes place at 7 p.m. in Park Shops, Room 200. Thursday evening at Campus Dining Halls, NCSU Dining presents Street Foods of the World. Enjoy the decor and expand your tastes with American, Greek, Indian, and Japanese foods brought to life right here at NC State. Thursday at 7 p.m. is the next installment in the Read Smart book discussion at the Cameron Village Regional Library. 
Dr. Michael D. Garvel of the NC State Department of Foreign Languages and Literatures will moderate a discussion of Herman Kosh's The Dinner. The internationally best-selling phenomenon tells a darkly suspenseful, highly controversial tale of two families struggling to make the hardest decision of their lives, all over the course of one meal. A reminder for NC State students, Friday is the last day to add or drop a course for this semester. Friday at 7 p.m., the Page Walker Arts and History Center in Cary presents the Women of Action Gathering as part of the Martin Luther King Jr. Dream Fest. Keynote speaker Dr. Gloria Wardwright will share her story from the back of the line about how as a youth she marched with Dr. King. Head out to also hear testimonies from others who are leading and living their destiny. Friday and Saturday is the Lai Nielsen Hand Tool event at the NC State Craft Center Woodshop. Come see how great hand tools can make your woodworking easier by participating in hands-on demonstrations with guests Roy Underhill and Scott Meeks. Visit the Craft Center website for more information. Saturday evening is the first annual Encore Acapella Invitational Concert at Meredith College. The event takes place at 7.30 p.m. in the Jones Auditorium on the Meredith College campus. This weekend at the Campus Cinema, the movies Chapter 2 and Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs 2 will be showing. Check uab.ncsu.edu for times. For more information on these events and more, go to ncsu.edu slash calendar. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Nick Savage. And as always, if you heard anything you liked, you hated, or anything that made you think, let us know on our Facebook page. You can also follow us on Twitter at WKNC underscore EOT for more local news. Also, be sure to check out our blog at blog.wknc.org, where you can also download our podcast. Well, that's all we have for now. Be sure to tune in next week. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Andrew Eichen. And I'm Nick Savage. Good night.